So, all right, when you think about it, maybe these are some things that you think about. These are things that come up. All right, here's some pictures. Some of you might have said the Easter Bunny, okay? Uh, great. I don't really know why an Easter Bunny was connected to Easter. I don't get it, but it is, all right? So, right, some of you said maybe Easter eggs. How many of you put out Easter eggs or an Easter basket or any of those kind of things? Some of you do that, all right? All right, if you got eggs, you got the baskets. Anybody do the baskets still, okay? We did the basket at our house yesterday because I just like chocolate, okay? So, I mean, anybody think flowers? Anybody talk about flowers at all? You got the Easter lilies. We got some flowers over here. Some of you, it's this. It's, it's white pants. You haven't been able to wear white pants all winter, okay? You're just excited. We can wear white again, all right? And then the ultimate, the greatest, the Reese's egg, okay? It is my favorite part right there, the Easter egg. Okay, no. All right, those are great. I love all those kind of things. But we didn't come here on Easter because of chocolate or bunnies or Easter eggs. We came here for far more significant reason. And there's two things that symbolize what Easter is all about and the essence of, of Easter, and it's this. It is a cross and an empty tomb. Amen. Cross and an empty grave. That's what it's about, okay? But you see, here's the problem. Here's the concern that I have is that at times uh, we, can, we can just kind of throw the cross and the empty grave in with everything else. You know, we just talk about, oh, yeah, Easter, and we got the eggs and the cross and the, you know, the grave and the bunny and all this stuff, and it just becomes just like everything else, right? And here's the deal. If the cross and the empty grave are just like everything else, then we shouldn't be wasting our time here this morning, folks, okay? We should have stayed home or we should have skipped this and gone right to brunch, Okay? But the fact is, the cross and the empty grave actually matter. They are nothing like the other stuff, okay? And they have the power to actually impact your life. Okay, that Reese's egg, other than maybe going to your thighs, it is not going to impact your life. The cross and the empty grave actually will. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to talk about the power that is there, all right? First thing I want to look at is the cross. I want to talk about the cross. You see, there's probably no symbol in all of the world that is more powerful than the cross. Not something that you see anywhere else. I mean, you can see crosses in every corner of this world. You see crosses on churches, but you see crosses on buildings. You see them tattooed on arms. You see them in your homes. You maybe decorate with a cross. We wear them on gold. You see, here's my concern with that. Is it the cross can be so normal to us that we become callous to the power. In fact, we can completely forget what the cross is about and sanitize the most hideous symbol of death, pain, and human torment that the world has ever known. And there is power in this cross. And that's point one in your notes. It's this. It's that the cross proves how far Jesus is willing to go to reach you. The cross proves how far Jesus is willing to go to reach you. Now, all of us have a problem here. You and I have a problem. The problem is that we aren't perfect. How many know you're not perfect, right? We're not perfect, okay? We know even on our best day, we are not perfect. You see, we have a problem because God is. God is holy. He is perfect in every way. And as imperfect beings, we cannot be in relationship with a perfect God. Those imperfections result in a barrier it's what we call sin. And that brokenness keeps us from God. And there's nothing we can do. As hard as you try, you can't be perfect. As hard as I try, I can't clean myself up. We're helpless. 
Our only hope is that God would do something. And see, that is what Easter is all about. It's the fact that this God loved us so much that he did something when we couldn't. And we need to recognize that the cross proves how far Jesus is willing to go to reach you. Now, the love you have for someone or something is directly proportionate to the amount you are willing to be inconvenienced, okay? I love sleep. Anybody out there like sleep? <laughs> I love sleep, you know? I don't get a lot of it, but when I do, it's awesome, okay? I like to sleep in. I like to take a nap. And I don't like, like the little 15-minute power naps. You know, some people don't like to take long naps because they get groggy. Pfft, I don't care if I get groggy. <laughs> Give me a two-hour nap. I will take it, Okay? Some of you feel like this meme that I saw this past week. You know you're growing old when happy hour is a nap, right? Like, just give me a nap. I will be happier, okay? Right? Okay, so, so all right, we'll be inconvenienced, all right? But when you have kids, you're willing to give up a little sleep, aren't you? And you have to, right? I met a new mom last week. I think her name was Jessica. She had, she's like, I just want to sleep for five hours. That's all. Just can I sleep for five hours, right? Because when you have kids, your kids will inconvenience you. They wake you up in the middle of the night. I'm thirsty. I got to go potty. You know, I'm scared. I'm like, I love you. I just want to sleep. Okay, but we'll be inconvenienced. Why? Because we love our kids. We're willing to be inconvenienced a little bit. But to a greater extent, your love for someone or something is really exposed by how much pain you're willing to endure for them. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You have relationships in your life. You've got kids. You've got parents. You've got a spouse. You've got a friend. You know what? That relationship, you love them so much, and it has caused you pain. It has hurt. And you've had to endure pain at times for that relationship to continue. See, that's what love does. Love takes a step when it even hurts, goes beyond that. And this is exactly what the cross embodies. It proves how far Jesus was willing to go to get you, how much pain he was willing to endure for you. Because hear this, Jesus knew what was coming. It says in the Bible that, that Jesus went to a garden before the cross. And in that garden, he prayed in the Greg Lenz translation of Jesus' prayer goes something like this, Father... I don't really want to do this. But if there isn't another way, I'm staying here. If he was like me, he would have left the garden. Because all he had to do was stand up, walk out the door, and everything would have been fine. But he stayed in that garden and was arrested. Why? Because he loves you. Because he did the thing. We'd have bailed. He didn't bail. Why? Because he loves you that much. And he endured pain that we couldn't imagine. We couldn't imagine the pain he endured. First, the pain was out of emotional pain. Emotional pain. He's in the garden. He's praying. It says that he, he sweats drops of blood because he knows what's coming. He knows what he's about to endure. And he stayed there anyway. And then he gets taken before a bunch of leaders. You know the story. He's taken before priests and these leaders and these spiritual leaders. And they start cursing him. They start just tearing apart. They start lying about him. He takes that emotional abuse. But it doesn't end there. We know that it turns into a physical pain. It starts with the punching. It starts with the slaps. It starts with the pulling of a beard, right? Most of us at that point, we'd say, okay, I'm done. Had enough. I'm out. But he didn't stop there. When he could have defended himself, he didn't defend himself. What did he do? He went even further. 
First, he endured a Roman scourging. Which if you're familiar with that, probably the most hideous thing humanity has created. The worst pain you could, could face is that of a, a whip with leather straps to it. And at the end, there would be metal, hunks of metal and glass and stone and bone. And, and they would take that and whip it across his bare back. But that wasn't the worst part because it would stick. And they would then take that and rip it so that there was actual flesh being torn from his back. Remember, Jesus was God. He could have left. After one, he could have said, whoop, that's enough. But he didn't. He took one, two, three. He took them all, all 39 of those lashes because he loves you that much. He loves you that much. And when it was over, he wasn't done. The physical pain was not done because what did he, he had to go and they put a crown of thorns on his head. Digging into his scalp, he took nails in both of his hands, in his feet. He took a spear in his side. Why? It's all screaming out one thing. I love you. I love you that much. But it didn't even end with the physical pain, did it? That's the crazy thing. It goes to the relational pain because everybody who he had been with, all of his friends, all his buddies, he spent three years with these guys, hanging out, doing life together, serving one another. They all bailed on him. He's by himself. And if that wasn't enough, there was the spiritual pain because a father had to turn his eyes away from his own son. Why did he say, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because all the sin of the world was placed on his head and he was left there to bear the weight of it all. You would say, some of you would say, I, I don't know that anybody cares about me in this world. You are mistaken. There's a God who loves you so much. He only did this. He didn't do this because he wanted to. He did this because he loves you, because he cares about you, because he was willing to do anything to reach you. And I don't care how you feel this morning. You might come in, you say, man, I am so far. I've been walking. I've been doing my own thing. I've been walking away from God. And you say, I don't know that God would come after me. Hear this. If the God of the universe was willing to leave heaven and go to a cross, then I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've been doing. I don't care who you've been with. I don't care the pain you've experienced. I don't care the sleepless nights. I don't care if you've been running the wrong direction. I don't care those things. I don't care the turmoil that's going on in your mind. I don't care the disappointments. I don't care the successes that you have in your life. There is no distance. Jesus will not go to reach you. There is no extinguishing his love. He cares about you that much says this in Romans, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves you that much. His love is deep. Sometimes we forget it. We look for love in every other way, in every other place, but there is no love greater than that. And that's what the cross proves. The cross proves how far Jesus is willing to go to reach you. But just because he loves you that much, just because somebody loves somebody, is willing to do crazy things, that, that really, that isn't always enough, right? Uh, I'm, I'm a big basketball fan. I loved basketball growing up. I grew up in Chicago. Some of you uh, may know that. I grew up in Chicago in the 90s. It was a good decade to be a basketball fan, Okay. 
All right, I had a great decade there, all right? And, and when I was a kid, I wanted, to be, I wanted to be a basketball player. I played all the time. I had a basketball hoop in my backyard. Played all the time, okay? I thought it was super cool, okay? And I had a pretty illustrious career in the elementary school years, okay? I was pretty awesome. And even junior high, I made the team in junior high. I felt pretty good about myself, okay? And I know this might surprise you because I know I have a, this intimidating physical prowess here, and, and I know it's amazing, but... I wasn't real big when I started high school, as you're wondering. I was all of 410, 90 pounds when I started high school, okay? It didn't bode well for an MBA career, okay? And so, so okay, I, it didn't matter that I loved basketball. It didn't matter that I tried hard, that I gave it everything I had. You know what? Just loving something isn't always enough. How many remember the movie Shrek? Anybody remember the Shrek? Let me see the movie Shrek, okay? It's probably one of the ugliest creatures of all time, Okay. Okay, in the movie Shrek, here's what happens in the movie Shrek. He is going to, to rescue this princess, okay? And if you remember the movie, the princess is in this tower, all right? And, and the tower is guarded by this dragon, and he's got to go try and rescue the princess, right? So he goes to the tower. He goes in there, and he's, as he's going in, he passes all of these skeletons of knights who had tried to rescue the princess in the past but failed, right? Okay, just because they had tried, they loved, they were willing to give it all. Didn't really matter. Couldn't do anything once I got there. See, it really doesn't matter that Jesus is willing to go to a cross if he died, and that was the end of the story. See, this is point number two in your notes. It's this. The empty grave proves Jesus has the power to actually rescue you. He didn't just die. It's not just like, oh, I feel good because he loved me that much. No, no, he actually has the power to do something once he reaches you. He will go any length to reach you, but he can actually rescue you because I love the cross. Man, I love the cross. I love to sing songs about the cross. I love what the cross accomplished, but you need to hear this. Without the empty grave, the cross is merely a dead tree with a dead man on it. That's all it is, okay? Without the empty grave, Jesus is a pitiful, failed cult leader. And without an empty grave, I'm playing golf on Sunday mornings. Let's just be real. Without an empty grave, this whole thing is worthless. You might say, ooh, Greg, that's a little bold. Don't say this. Why don't you listen to what the Apostle Paul said? He said this in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said this. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. It goes on and says this. Next screen. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Paul hangs the whole thing on one thing, resurrected Jesus. If he is not risen from the grave, there is no hope in this room. Okay? Let's go do something. Let's not fake it. Let's not pretend that there's something going on here when there isn't. We got other stuff we could be doing. But the truth is the grave is empty. He got up and walked out of it. All right? That's what took place. And and you might ask yourself, well, how how could Paul be so confident? Why why would he go to such lengths if he wasn't really sure? I mean, that seems like putting a lot of weight on one event. How could he be so confident? Because Paul saw it with his own two eyes. Paul saw the resurrected Jesus with his own two eyes, all right? Listen, Paul was not one of the guys who drank the Kool-Aid and was just following Jesus and just kind of was hoping and maybe was delusional and saw Jesus get up out of the grave and just, he dreamt it. No, that's not what took place. What took place? 
Paul was the opposite. He was the guy who was trying to kill the Christians. Paul was trying to extinguish this thing called Christianity. He wanted it done. He was arresting it. In fact, he was on the road to go arrest more Christians to snuff this thing out called Christianity. And he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. He wasn't convinced into it. He, somebody didn't preach a good sermon and said, oh, I should believe that. No, he saw the resurrected Jesus, and in a moment, his life changed. He was not the same man. He went from being the one persecuting Christians to being the greatest advocate and the greatest missionary the world has ever known. In one moment, a resurrected Jesus. That's why he was so confident. It wasn't because he's like, oh, this sounds like a good idea. I'm sorry, I can't deny it. When I see a man get up out of a tomb, I'm going to go with that guy, okay? But it wasn't just him. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians. He begins to talk about some other people. It says, he appeared to Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter. Peter. This is Peter. The apostle Peter. Saint Peter. He appeared to Peter. You might say, well, Peter was one of his apostles. Well, obviously, remember what happened to Peter when he saw Jesus on a cross? I'm done. Three times he denied him. He walked the other way to a little child. He denied Jesus to a little child. But he saw a resurrected Jesus. Everything changed. It goes on and says, Then to the twelve, who are the twelve? Twelve disciples. They were with Jesus. You say, again, those are the followers. They're the ones that hang out there. Yeah, yeah, but all of them were, were scared. They were all hiding. They were all hiding in a house, just scared for their lives. They weren't the bold ones. No. What caused that change? A resurrected Jesus. It goes on, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Said, listen, there were 500 of them that saw this resurrected Jesus. It wasn't just the two of them, it was 500 of them. Most of them are still alive. You can go talk to any of them. Trust me, this thing happened. It goes on from there. So then he appeared to James. He appeared to James. And James is probably the best argument for the resurrection of Jesus because James was the half-brother of Jesus. And, and I've heard this said before, man. This is what. What would you have to do to convince your brother you were God? <laughs> James was not a follower of Jesus. He was not walking around following Jesus. James thought his brother was crazy. He thought his brother, it talks about in the Bible that there are stories where he's like, my brother's crazy. Yeah, go do your thing. That's awesome. But he comes face to face with the resurrected Jesus and everything changes. He goes from being the guy mocking Jesus to becoming the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Okay? That's who James is. And then it goes to this. Then to all the apostles and last of all to me. This is Paul. You know what Paul's saying with this long list? He's saying this. Google me. Google me on this one. You can go talk to any one of these people. This isn't something I'm making up. Jesus rose from the dead. It really happened. This is a reality. This isn't something we make up. This isn't the Easter Bunny. This isn't Easter eggs and a Reese's egg. This isn't any of those things. This is a reality. And if it's a reality, then it speaks a hope you couldn't even imagine. The cross may say this. It may say, I will go anywhere to reach you. But the empty grave says this. I can rescue you when I get there. Some of you walked in with hard stuff. Some of you came in broken. You walked in this room just looking for a lifeline. Hear this. There is a Savior for you. 
There is a God that loves you desperately. I can't, I wish I could come to every single one of you and say, God loves you that much. And he can take you where you're at. I don't care the situation you're facing. You may feel overwhelmed. Run and open your arms to this God. He will rescue you. If you're a follower of Jesus, man, this should get you all jacked up. You should be pumped up, filled with thanksgiving for what God has done for you. But if you don't know Jesus, this should fill you with absolute I'm going to close with our big so what. Big so what. I, I always preach this way with some clear understanding of how, how do we apply this thing. And here's the big so what. The rescuer is able. We talked about it today. He's able. Wherever you are at, wherever you have been, he is able. Here's the question. Are you willing? Are you willing to surrender your life to him? Are you willing to say, would you come and save me? Wherever you're at. I've been praying for you this week. Your friends have been praying for you this week. Not because they want something from you. They want something for you. They want you to experience the hope that they've experienced. They want you to experience the newness that they've experienced. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond here. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, we are so, so grateful for what you have done for us, God. We are so grateful that you have come and made a way, God, when we couldn't make a way for ourselves, God, you made a way for us. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray for all of us here who are followers of Jesus. God, may we never grow cold to this story. May this never become something that just becomes a routine that we forget about, God, May it be alive in our hearts every day to remember that there is a God who cares about us intimately. That we would remember that this God wants to, to save us and rescue us. And there is no time, there is no time in our life where we go too far, where we outreach the arm of God. He is here for us. We thank you for that, Jesus. And as we pray, there's some of you here this morning and you've never responded to Jesus or maybe you've been walking away. This morning you realize there is a God who cares about you that intimately. It says in scripture that, that what you need to do is just simply confess him as your Lord. Recognizing his death and resurrection and saying, God, I want to make you Lord. What does that mean? It means that you surrender your life to Jesus. It means that you say, God, I am yours. I give up control of myself and I turn it completely over to you. That's what it means. And it says if you simply would surrender your life to Jesus, he will give you a gift you can never purchase for yourself. And that's the gift of new life. 